the food system. I think the food system is the best way that we can build community by creating something that's regenerative. And that is part of what led me to finding the Herd Quitter podcast. And Jared Lumen is uh, the host and an incredible resource. I, I highly recommend checking that out. But uh, reached out. We did a little interview. Uh, one of what I imagine it's going to be many to come and learning about how there is a much bigger community of people after similar things that build the self, the build the farm through entrepreneurship and doing things in a way that is regenerative and sustainable. So I hope you enjoy this interview with my new buddy, Jared Lumen. Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity Podcast with host Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five-year-old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a Blue Zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies. All right, here with Jared Lumen of the Herd Quitter Podcast. Brother, man, I am so excited to, to have you on today. I came across your podcast because we were going down to uh, Georgia, to Bluffton, Georgia, to visit with Will Harris of White Oak Pastures, and uh, I found your interview uh, with that. So tell me a little bit about your podcast and what, uh, what your mission is behind that. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for the opportunity. It's always it's fun to fun to be able to share a little bit. So I'm I'm glad that my podcast you found a little bit enjoyable. Uh, it's like you mentioned called the Herd Quitter Podcast, and that term kind of came from Kit Farrow. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all, but he coined that term. The, the Herd Quitter is kind of the cow we've all probably experienced if you've worked cattle before. Uh, that cow when you're trying to move a group of a couple hundred cows, and the one that seems to always want to go back or go to the right or to the left when the herd's going one direction and kind of annoys you as a person trying to move them. But the idea being that that cow in this entire herd is the only cow thinking for herself. And when you think about it that way, it's kind of something to be respected. And so we like to kind of define ourselves as herd quitters. And the guests that I try to get on the podcast are herd quitters or people who aren't afraid to think for themselves, even if it might mean annoying some people or making the rest of the herd kind of uh, confused. And, uh, and we hope that talking to these people who are thinking for themselves and doing things a little differently, kind of, a, you know, a going away from the herd, um, will, will provide some value and make you think a little differently on your operation as a listener. So that might provide some value to change your operation, hopefully for the better. So. Absolutely. And so in, in kind of that context, it's a lot of uh, more of the regenerative back to soil basics and, and focus. Uh, that that I've come across. What uh, what's the biggest takeaway that you have seen from uh, you know farmers and ranchers that you visit with? And you you are a farmer yourself. Um, what what are those takeaways? That kind of the the highlights. Yeah, no, good question. And and it's it's interesting because I wouldn't say that my intention with the podcast was a focus on regenerative necessarily in and of itself, but it largely has shifted that way because I would say my focus has been largely on, on the business side, trying to make businesses more profitable, but they really are synonymous almost. I mean, when you run a regenerative ranch that you start pulling out inputs and running with less equipment, less diesel, less inputs, um, and focusing more on what nature provides and letting livestock and animals do the work for you, it naturally is a more regenerative system 
while also being a better business model. And so that kind of is the overarching, I mean, there's lots of little pieces we could pull out of that and what, you know, the, the things that you change on every operation might be different, but largely probably one of the biggest things is just, you can do more with less. That's kind of been a, you know, shocking, uh, shocking, maybe a revelation for some is that it's different than the idea of constantly being put money and inputs, whether that's a feed supplement or a fertilizer or something into to produce more. There are people out there doing more by managing better or having the right time, right kind of livestock that doesn't cost any more, but results in a more profitable overall enterprise. And I think that's really cool. And I can get into, you know, as many specifics as you want, but that's probably one of the biggest over, overall takeaways. So just kind of a really contrarian approach of what we've done basically for the last, you know, 70 years, right? Um, about how, how do you get it faster and bigger? I mean, I feel like that's the only two things that we've worried about for the last, uh, you know, long, long time. So when, uh, when somebody might be interested in transitioning from, you know, a regular operation that maybe, you know, they're multi-generational in and they, they want to apply more of these principles. Where, where, where do they need to start? Like, what's like that first step of uh, education, do you think? Oh, man, it's a good question. Um, you know, it's, and, and it's something that I like to kind of, I don't want to say hammer on, but I, I get kind of frustrated sometimes when I hear a lot of people go to their information they seek it out from their input providers <laughs> and that's a little bit biased. And so when generally I would say there's, you know, find some third party information or find somebody else who's doing it and specifically in your area. Uh, you know, I have a podcast and there's plenty of others, the working cows, the ranching, but there's lots of great podcasts around this kind of topic that share good information. But if you're listening to a rancher from Alberta and you're in Kentucky or, or Georgia or whatever, it might not be specifically relevant, but um, and it's funny too, I'll hear how often I hear from people saying there's no one in my area doing this, but I would bet almost with, you know, in every area within a relatively close drive, you could find somebody trying to implement some sort of regenerative practices. So try and seek out, drive by, you know, drive around and take a look for the people who are doing things differently. Instead of cattle spread all out over a section, see the one that's got a group clustered with polywire fence, stop in and ask him what he's doing. You know, talk to the neighbors who are doing these things within a context that's more similar to yours and, and learn from them. And, and then also almost every state has different organizations like the grassland coalitions or soil health coalitions or in Minnesota, we've got a few different, we've got the Minnesota Soil Health Coalition, the St Sustainable Farming Association. You know, there's organizations that are nonprofits that aren't making a dime off of you that are happy to help work with farmers to implement some of these things too, so. When, when I look at a lot of the regenerative stuff, I see a lot of passion coming from two surprising demographics and it's it's younger right that's that's one uh new farmers that's really exciting and the other uh that really stood out when we were down at white oak pastures was uh women like there were a lot of women that were so excited about the the whole food system uh getting back to basics and so have you seen anything like that does that stand out to you hmm it's interesting. I would say younger for sure. I've seen and and I've had people reach out to me and say I need to get more women on my podcast and I struggle to find them. So I would love if you have like recommendations. I need to find I know they're out there like you're saying. I'm sure that that's a trend, but I've 
uh, you know, have struggled to find some, but definitely I would say the younger generation is coming back with these ideas. They want to leave their imprint on the farm somehow, you know, you know, it's, I, it's tough to come back to the farm and just run it the same way your family always has. And maybe, you know, what have you contributed, but I think people want to want to contribute something to the farm and make a change. And um, so I've seen that a lot with youth and, and also they're the ones that are, you know, they're utilizing technology like podcasts and YouTube where a lot of these ideas are being shared. So they have access to the ideas. Um, so I, I definitely would say that you're right on with the youth, but then it'll surprise you too. I go to some of these field days and farm events and there's, you know, like an 85 year old farmer who says, man, what I would do to learn these things when I was your age and stuff. And it's like, you know, it's pretty cool to see some folks that, at any age, aren't afraid to make some changes. So, well, um, you spoke with somebody that I, is an absolute hero of mine. Not very long ago, Alan Savory. What uh, What did you get from that? Because Jared, I bet I've listened to that podcast, and I'm not I'm not exaggerating eight times, and I, I get something different every single time, or, or or deeper. And so, what what did that mean to you? And yeah, well, first of all, I was kind of telling you offline, it was just an honor, uh, you know, to be able to talk to someone like him, because he's had, I, I kind of shared it at the beginning of the podcast, I think of all the different things that I've done between my direct marketing, what our, our practices are on our farm, and my work with the Sustainable Farming Association, is like, so much of what I do has come from a lot of the work that he pioneered. So it was an honor to be able to talk to him, first of all. Uh, but then uh, in the actual conversation, I realized how, like, uh, what's the word, um, just like wholly inadequate I was to be able, prepared to be able to have a real conversation with him. And he kept saying these things are so simple and I'm like, man, I am so far beneath you and in, in your wisdom. But it was, it was very, uh, I would say, eye-opening and just like expanding what I think about on a regular basis, which was important because if we always think about what we're always thinking about, we're not really gaining. And he pushed my perspective beyond the individual farm level and what I'm doing at my place to face and focus on some of the challenges we face as an industry and as a nation and as a world. And I think that was the real important piece that, that, uh, that he kind of pushed me to think about in ways that I had not really done in the past. Yeah, it was really, really holistic and how adamant he was about not talking about production was really really eye-opening to me. So uh, how he broke down the difference between production or management and, and how holistic and interconnected things were. Because um, in there a couple times, he talked about how he refused to talk about regenerative agriculture at these different conferences stuff. It was that that wasn't the thing. And, and um, but on the same time, that's that's where I gravitate to. Right. Like to me, if that's what makes sense is like the way we do it uh, matters. And so it was just yes. I, I think that's why I kept going back and re-listening to try to get I think he said he was 87 and just the wisdom and how sharp he was. Uh, yeah. So that's definitely we'll, we'll link to that because that's something I think everybody needs to listen to. Yeah, no, dude. And, and it was it was interesting, like this idea of, you know, we all are in a production mindset as or we're all in a we think we're managing things what we're really producing and we forget to manage focus on management was really his big key takeaway and stuff that we're we're not managing the three main resources that we or the, the three 
the, the pieces of holistic management I, are, and, and I'll butcher it trying to, you know, trying to do justice to what he talked about, but we're, we're managing resources, land, equipment, livestock, we're managing money, and we're managing people. We focus so much on the production side, which is the easy side to focus on, but leaves out these huge keys to, and, and pieces of our, our operations that have a huge effect on our operations and our lives. And when we leave those out of the picture, we're never going to be able to make, you know, true steps forward. Yeah. Um, it, well, it's beautiful. It's just, I'm, I'm going to go back and listen to it again, probably umpteen more times, but it, it was just that, that valuable. I think one of the uh, passions for us is uh, nutrition. So health, nutrition, and I have been kind of really blown away with the comparison. So, and again, this goes kind of back to the production. I'm not trying to say anybody's, you know, wrong or anybody's done anything bad. It's just uh, when we look at the cause and effect, right? Like the the nutritional value of the food we have based on the current model is depleted. I, I mean, that it, that is what it is. And then it also does expose a lot of toxins that otherwise uh, aren't natural, <laughs> you know? And so my oldest, uh, he's now nine, what, what, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer uh, when he was five. And so that it was the catalyst for us diving in and understand. And Jared, every single time when I try to get back to the root cause, it goes back to ag. It goes back to the soil. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, I, I believe wholeheartedly in the Bible in that it says we come from the soil. And we are so similar, right? Like in everything that I have learned with the uh, body. And so that's going to be like energy, you know, light, uh, frequency. I mean, it's stuff we don't even understand yet. Minerals and microbes. Those three things are like the foundation of health in my, in my estimation. So who do you look to for the wisdom in building that soil? Just like we would look for building our bodies is like, how, how do we, how do we get back to the basics and figure that out? Yeah. Well, that's a that's a good question, and and I think that if we look to one person, we're going to end up shorting ourselves probably. And so, what I like to try and do is look to what nature did before any people started messing with it. Is what we've always called. I mean, people call it biomimicry or just mimicking nature or just trying to. I mean, I'm glad that you brought up that you believe wholeheartedly in the Bible. God created a beautiful world that thrives when we don't get in the way. And if you look back to how His creation operated before we uh started you know messing with it i think there's a lot of wisdom there and so that kind of goes to the soil health principles that are you know promoted by a few individuals so if you want to talk about individuals you know gay brown alan williams some of these people who kind of promote these soil health principles of diversity minimum disturbance cover the soil living roots integration of livestock and and context uh these soil health principles are the things that we try to focus that are really just pulled out of nature's operations you know nature's systems um, and, and when you implement those, the cool thing is it's a, it, it can be applied in any context differently. It might be applied differently, but the principles themselves are applicable everywhere. There's nowhere that you can't apply, uh, you know, trying to incorporate more diversity. Uh, what that diversity might look like different from where you are to where I am, but it's applicable anywhere. Diversification and integration of livestock is applicable anywhere. And so when we follow those principles, you're right, that's how we can build soil. And that's when things get exciting. Not only does it, from a business perspective, again, result in more productive soils, more productive pastures or croplands that can help us be more profitable as businesses, but 
there's data. These guys, these same guys, Alan and Gabe, are doing some really good work pioneering some of this research around regenerative egg that are finding that we are putting nutrition back in these food products and stuff. And they've got the technology they talk about is just a few years away. And I've heard that for a few years. So who knows when it's actually a reality, but that we'll have the tools in our pockets to be able to go to a grocery store and look at two tomatoes and see which one is more nutrition, you know, and more nutritionally dense, uh, nutrient dense. And that's exciting. And so I'm, you know, we're trying at our farm to set ourselves up to take advantage of that. When that happens instantly, one tomato will be worth more than the other, or one steak might be worth more than another when a person can look and see which one is more nutrient dense. And, uh, and I think it would be wise for farmers to prepare by building soils early on right now, even if they may, the markets may, may not be set up to provide the premium. You know, they're, they're, I've already talked about some of the financial benefits just of making these changes anyway, but they'll get even greater when we can prove out the nutritional differences. Can can you expand on what you mean by low input um, agriculture? Yes, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to. And so, uh, and, and I'm not specifically, I shouldn't say like I want, you need to be low input. There's high input operators who are very profitable as well. But the idea behind it is just that over the last 50, 60, 70 years, you know, agriculture has largely become more and more dependent on inputs and inputs have continued to go up in price. Uh, there was a Jim Garris, he put together kind of a, not a formal research product, but project, but he's recorded over the last 50 years, I think kind of price points of different inputs, fuel, equipment, uh, cost of bailing, labor, stuff like that. And the cost, and I won't get the specifics now, I should have had that prepared, but I wanna say some something along the lines of over the last 50 years, input costs have gone up at 10 times the rate of the pro the product that we're selling. And so the cost that it takes to produce a pound of beef have gone up 10 times more than the price, the, 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 the pound of beef that we've sold. And that number may not be exactly right. So don't quote me on that. But the point is the same is that the cost of inputs have continued to go up while beef is not accelerated at the same rate. And so the idea of a low input operation is just that it doesn't work anymore in today's system to be such a high input producer when input costs continue to raise at a rate higher than the product we're selling. And so we're focusing on letting, kind of going back to that natural system, following nature, letting the animals do the work for us, letting nature and the sun and the plants provide the nutrients for our soil, like let them help build our soil rather than spending dollars on it. And we may produce slightly less, although a lot of producers are producing more. Um, you know, we can produce more on our pasture that we haven't fertilized in years than the neighbors managing in a continuous graze system. And Gabe Brown, having not used any uh, synthetic fertilizers, I think of any port uh, of any kind, may not be the highest producer, but he's above average for his county. And so there's ways to actually increase production while reducing inputs when you work with nature, and that's beneficial to soil and beneficial to the bottom line. So a way, a way of looking at that is like you could make a 200,000 uh, or and 100,000, you know, comparing two different farms, one farm that you're making 200,000, you have $150,000 expenses, right? Yes. And the other one you have maybe 30. So you can still, you make yeah. more, right? Yes. By, but yeah. you're to have less production. So that's not the only exactly. metric we need. Focusing on profit as opposed to production. When we look at yields of pounds or bushels or whatever, we're leaving a lot of pieces out that matter. Yield really doesn't mean a thing. I'd rather produce one bushel <laughs> with zero dollars of expenses than produce 250 bushels 
at a loss, <laughs> which a lot of producers, maybe with the exception of the last couple of years with high crop prices, a lot of producers are operating at a break even or loss in, in a lot of commodity agriculture. So. Yeah, the uh, I actually visited with uh, Alan Williams, Dr. Williams, uh, a while back, and uh, we hit on the kind of the mental health aspect. Is is uh, you know farming can be extremely difficult and stressful. You got your legacy tied up in there in a lot of a lot of stances, and so that uh, the mental uh, issues are way way bigger than I. Thought. Uh, you know, coming from EMS, uh, back police fire, uh, I've seen a lot of that, right, in the healthcare profession. Uh, but I was I was shocked when I started uncovering that with uh, the agricultural world. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sad because it's an industry that people have such a passion for and a love for. But the very industry that we love is it, it can be so stressful, and and also for some reason it's it's unfortunate that. Uh, we feel alone and that we don't feel like we can talk about some of those issues. And I think, I mean, I'm glad that over the last few years, there've been more, there's been more and more talk about mental health and agriculture and, and breaking the stigma that it's, you know, some, it's bad to talk about. And I think we, we need more of that. So um, I, I think you're right, but um, a lot of that does come from financial stress. And, and if we can help build our businesses to a point where we're, you know, don't have to feel quite that financial stress, hopefully that can relieve a lot of that pressure. I think that may be what I love the most about this is it's hope. It's hope for a solution where we have more control in, in a lot of ways um, and more resiliency. And that, that just seems, that just seems incredible. And, and that's, I'm glad you brought up hope too, because like my, my podcast, other podcasts for me, I've listened like you to podcasts so much. I, I spend a lot of time out in the fields listening to podcasts and, and I don't want to say I've learned it all, but I've heard a lot of now, a lot of the ideas and the repetition, it's it's the same stuff you continue to hear. And so it's not so much about learning the next practice that will change my business, but it's about the motivation and the hope, hearing more people doing it. It's almost a community in agriculture. Like a lot of times we're isolated. We're off on our farms working all day by ourselves. And so when you can tune into a podcast and hear producers doing these things and hear transformational stories of a person who's gone from really struggling to success and, and enjoying their business again, that gives me hope and excitement for what that means for our farm and our family that, you know, that's almost what I tune into now more than the actual practices. It's just the, the reminder that there's people doing it and the excitement that, that comes with that. So. Love it. I agree. Agree wholeheartedly. All right. Uh, give us, give us your favorite book that uh, we can recommend. Oh man, you know, I asked this to all of my guests and, and I've not been asked it before. And, but I've got three, like three of my favorite books and they're kind of different topics. And the one on soil health is, is uh, dirt to soil by Gabe Brown. Fantastic book. The one on business is the turnaround, a rancher's story by Dave Pratt is a phenomenal book. I've read that a couple of times and we'll read it again. And then the, the third one is more of a life, uh, you know, relevant to everything. And that's leadership and self-deception. Um, and that's a phenomenal book uh, as well that really will uh, challenge you in, in good ways. So um, I think those three books, if I could recommend people listen to any or to read or listen to any books and stuff, those three would get you a long ways. Love it, brother. Love it. All right. And so the Herd Quitter podcast, and uh, that can be found everywhere, right? Anywhere you listen to podcasts or uh, on social media at Herd Quitter Podcast or HerdQuitterPodcast.com. Jared, thank you so much for the time and, uh, and uh, look forward to visiting with you again. Yes, awesome. Thanks so much, Logan. See you, buddy.